Coming up on the Vergecast, Liz Lopato joins us to talk all about NFTs. It's NFT mania this week. Dan Seifer joins us to talk about new Android phones, some new laptops, and a new Sonos speaker. That's the Vergecast coming up now. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast, blockchain technology. Mm. <laughs> I don't know that you want to say that. I do and I don't. Anyway, <laughs> I'm your friend, Eli. Dieter Bone is here. I am your 18th gig of RAM. That's good. That's the one that right over the top. Yeah. Liz Lopato is here. I'm here to bring a little bit of chaos to the Vergecast, as I think longtime listeners know. As always, we're going to make Liz talk about NFTs. It's going to be great. A little bit later, Dan Seifert is going to join us. we got some gadgets to talk about. Before we get into NFTs with Liz, I want to start, as always, with our COVID update. Kind of like a big week in like vaccine news and like just feeling good. As we're recording a few hours ago, uh, President Biden signed the Recovery Act. There's just good news in, in the rate of vaccines. But before we talk about the vaccine news, uh, Nicole Wetzman wrote a great piece this week about at-home testing, which is something that has been somewhat sorely lacking. There are now these new uh, PCR kits. The PCR is the good kind of testing. Uh, there's a company called Lucera. There's another company. This was, Liz, from what I understand, like kind of like a dead end of research until COVID, and now there's like an explosion of innovation here. I have uh, Lucera tests at my house because there's mm -hmm. no testing around where I am, and my sister's a doctor, and she has sent me one. Uh, they're, they're, they're so cool. So now at least we have some access to testing. It's it's really neat. Yeah, I mean, so there are a couple of things that are pretty well known about what happens when you go to a doctor's office, right? Like, you're not necessarily at your best. Your blood pressure is a little bit higher than it normally is. Other stuff, like in terms of, you know, testing, requires laboratories. And so you maybe can get that at your doctor's office. But if you are like me, sometimes your doctor just sends you to another lab and that sucks. And that lab is closed and they don't tell you. And then you have to go the next day and then you find another lab that's nearby. And then the people there are super mad because everybody who went there is mad at them because the other lab was closed, but it's not their fault. And you're worried they're going to kill you because they're so pissed. They're like jabbing you with needles to get wow. the blood out. Dieter, what's living in Oakland like? <laughs> I mean, look, I didn't have that experience the last time I went to a lab, but the experience I did have was waiting in line for two hours, which sucked. Mm. Yeah. Um, especially indoors. Like we were all masked, but it was the most people I had been around in weeks and it's a pandemic. So that was not great. Yeah. I mean, these things are cool. Um, 
I mean, you know, I took bio in college. I remember doing a PCR experiment. It was complicated and hard. I think I got it wrong. I don't think I got a good grade in that class. But this was like a little plastic box with two double A's. You put the vial in. You run it for 30 minutes. It has a result that you can be called. Like, very cool. So read that story. It's just a great innovate. It's a great story about innovation that wasn't happening, and it was spurred on by the pandemic, and now it's happening at a high rate. Very cool. On the vaccine front, good news. Uh, the CD says if people are vaccinated, they can socialize together without masks, which is like the biggest glimmer of hope that has ever glimmered in the past year. That's very cool. Supplies of the of COVID-19 vaccines are up in the United States. Biden administration buying more of the single shot uh, Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which I think a lot of people were concerned that there'd be some hesitancy around that one because of the numbers are reported compared to the other vaccines. Turns out uh, not a lot of fear there. The single shot vaccine is indeed popular at various vaccination sites. We have a story about that. I actually, this is just a fun story. Artifacts from the first vaccination in the United States are now going to be in the Smithsonian. Mm. I feel like they should keep that in storage for a while. Like, I don't need. I don't need to think about that. <laughs> I, mean, I don't need to go to a museum to think about COVID for a good long time. Well, Neilai, how is Max going to learn about it? We're just not going to talk about it. Like, <laughs> that should just be like a mystery. Like what happened in that year of my parents' lives? Like she'll just find out about it. Someone can make a documentary. If you're a teenager, start thinking about that documentary now. Uh, vaccine distribution around the world. Very cool. We have a story about uh, drones that are helping to speed up deliveries of vaccines in Ghana. And then lastly. I'm assuming it, a lot of people listening to this, uh, hopefully you are high on a list. You can get a vaccine. A lot of people are not. There are now websites. There's one called Dr. B, which is a startup that is basically say, like connected, putting people on lists around the country. So at the end of the day, when providers have leftover vaccines, you get a text. You get two hours to get over there. You can get vaccinated. That's very cool. It's a good use of technology. There's like, you should read that story. It's great. It's like a classic tech company story. Like a guy started it and how did they grow? They bought another one. <laughs> it's like every story is the same story. Also, the holdup is not actually on the user side because like half a million people have signed up, I think. The problem is that they're trying to verify vaccine sites so that they can like guide people to the right ones. And that's taking a lot longer than like all of the people like, in all honesty, me, who are dying to get vaccinated and are just like, sign me up, coach. Put me yeah. in. Anywhere you want. I wonder if, like, Google could make a website to solve that problem. Don't kill me. We should announce that. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like, uh, it's like we're going to cruise into a year since that announcement soon. Yeah. And it is now easier for me to plug two AA batteries into a box and just do the test at my house than to go to a website run by Google that tells me where I can get a test. <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> anyway, glimmers of hope. It's all positivity on the Vergecast today. And now we're going to talk about NFTs. So if you don't know, NFTs stand for non-fungible token. Liz, I would say the past two weeks have taken NFTs from being a somewhat obscure idea to literally today, an artist named Beeple sold an NFT of a digital painting at Christie's, the fine art auction house, for $69 million. Nice. And that's just a just a rocket ride of awareness, I would say. And there's history and people didn't know about it, but like the past two weeks in particular, that is that is quite a journey we've been on. So Liz, you've been writing about it. We've got some other coverage from Justine and others across the site. Uh, Jake has been writing about it a lot. But Liz, let's start. What's an NFT? Great question. So NFT stands <laughs> for non-fungible token, which probably for some of you is not going to help. So basically, imagine a Bitcoin, right? It's fungible. Every Bitcoin is basically the same. You can like do whatever you want with them. You can split them into parts, all of that. So 
this is more like a trading card, right? It's if you trade it for um, like if you trade, I don't know, I'm trying to think because I wasn't a trading card person. But if you trade like a, a rookie card of, I don't know, Babe Ruth for another card, you no longer have the Babe Ruth card. The, the identity matters. And so part of what the NFT does is it makes it really clear what the chain of ownership was uh, for this specific object. OK, let me stop you there. <laughs> does it? Mm, there's just a very complicated idea that I want to peel apart here before we talk about the explosion of NFTs. For all listeners, I want you all to know that in the back of Neelai's mind is a deep fear that we are about to talk about what makes a thing a thing and whether it's possible to own the thing and whether or not words have meaning. And he's just staring at me through the Zoom window, asking me with his eyes to shut up and not interrupt him. We're not. We're <laughs> going to get there so quickly, and I, I'm just trying to slow it down. But let's start and see how long it takes us. So things have value. No, so you've got the, the physical trading card, right? And like tops, which makes trading cards prints a couple thousand of them a year or tens of thousands of them a year. They sell them. They don't print them again. They end up on a market. You can buy and sell them. You can keep them in your grandmother's attic for the rest of your life. An NFT is just linked to a thing that exists digitally elsewhere. So like Top Shots is like the NBA's NFT trading card platform where you can buy and sell video clips of basketball highlights. But like I can just watch those basketball highlights whenever I want and I don't have to pay anybody and and I don't you don't own them Re, like you don't own that highlight. You just own like a copy of the highlight. You see where I'm like there's actually not a connection between buying and selling the NFT and like creating scarcity around the thing. Correct. Does this make any sense? Yeah. So it does. And it's it's interesting. So I'm going to I'm going to phrase this another way because um, our, our, our John Laguerre, John Laguerre, John Ledger, Laguerre. Ledger, John, uh, Laguerre, I don't know. I only read his name who, by the way, and I'm, I'm just saying this former T-Mobile CEO, John Ledger, I'm just going to say this is like the number one decoder super fan. So he's on my good <laughs> list. He's tweeted like every episode of decoder. <laughs> so I'm like, a, I'm on team Ledger right now. All right. Well, Ledger bought a $888,888.88 NFT from Steve Aoki. And if you're curious about what it is, you can go on YouTube and see it. Uh, It's a 30 second long video with music and an animation of what I would describe as a person with fur and sunglasses. Oh, this is fucking horrifying. Fur is um, pink and blue uh, for anybody who cares. But so you can you can see it. Right. But in some sense, I think what you're purchasing is a sense of ownership. So I've been talking to people on the Top Shots platform. And yeah, there's a story coming, guys. Get excited. <laughs> they, they talk about over and over again, you know, well, yeah, you can watch this clip on YouTube, but you don't own it. You don't have a sense of ownership. There's no like it, it doesn't accrue to you, right? Yeah. Like it's like you're not part of it. And yeah. so for them, because a lot of them are like very, very serious NBA fans, it's almost it feels at times like this is like the next iteration of a fan club where like you join the club and you get to talk to some of the uh, the stars of the NBA because they hang out in the discord and like sometimes they'll trade you like their jersey for a particularly good moment. 
which, you know, yeah, there's like there there are a number of very funny transactions. So, you know, it seems like there's like some mix of like a sense of ownership and a sense of community that are really powering Top Shot. So I want to talk about this without going, I don't know, too far down the epistemology rabbit hole here. But I'm going to like, here's a narrative. We used to know what a thing was and like the, and what it meant to have it, and that was a, it was a physical thing. And then things went online, and so like instead of having a VHS tape or whatever, there was copies, and things became infinitely copyable, and it sort of messed with our idea of what it was to like have something. And Liz, you called this a sense of ownership, and I think that's that's kind of the core of it because typically our sense of ownership means some kind of control. It means some kind of like you are in charge of the thing. And with digital stuff, uh, that sense of ownership just becomes a copyright and you, you know, you try and tell people not to pirate your stuff. With an NFT, you don't like that. That sense of ownership gets another step removed. What you own is the token. You own the cryptographic thing in the blockchain that says that you are the person currently in possession of that cryptographic key in the blockchain that may or may not, but in most cases is not like one-to-one the same thing as the thing it's representing. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I apologize for being a philosophy major. Um, (laughs) We got there so fast. It's been like, it's, it's been like eight minutes. But the thing that I keep thinking about is art in the age of mechanical reproduction, mm-hmm. um, where Benjamin talks about how physical objects have an aura. And this is like borne out by psychology. So like one thing that we know about people is that if we take a sweater and we say this sweater used to belong to Albert Einstein, people really like the sweater and they want to own it. If you take the same sweater and you tell people it belonged to Hitler, people want nothing to do with the sweater. <laughs> it's the same sweater. You know, like the sweater didn't change. You just changed the story about the sweater. And that that aura is like part of what um, physical objects have. And uh, it's been a minute since I've read this book, but I should probably read it again. But one of the things that uh, Benjamin talks about is that when you can endlessly reproduce things, um, you lose this aura. And in some ways, I have been looking at this as like a way of reintroducing the aura to a reproducible uh, digital object. An infinitely reproducible object. Yeah. First, I will note that The Verge very famously made a video where Dieter narrates art in the age of mechanical reproduction to just scenes of CES. Yeah. It's good. You should watch it. It's really Easily good. one of the best videos we've ever made. Yeah, we yeah. were completely hungover and out of our minds on a lack of sleep <laughs> when this video was conceived and produced, but one of the best ones we've ever made. Here's my question, though. That, right, that's the, the thesis, right? You can, you can make many, many more objects that are the same thing. You lose the aura. Yes and no, that's true, right? Like, we do live in an age of mechanical reproduction. There are, like, lots of copies of cars, right? And if I tell you this was, uh, I think Elton John's, like, Lamborghini just sold for, like, $30 million. And serious car collectors, like, that car's a piece of shit. Like, (laughs) other Lamborghinis of exactly the same vintage do not fetch that price. Like, this makes no sense. But it's Elton John's. And there is, like, a market for this, this thing because of that aura, Digital goods don't have any of that. Why not? I would say, like, underlying, like, my college-level economics courses was markets are based on scarcity, and there's supply and demand, and there's only a certain number of commodities in the world, and if there's a lot of demand and no supply, the price goes up. Like, this is, like, the basics of economics. The internet represents the end of scarcity. So, like, streaming services charge you for access, 
to an infinite catalog of music and movies because they cannot charge you for the movies or music because you might as well just go pirate them. <laughs> so actually the cost is convenience, right? Like DRM systems generally have failed because they are less convenient than just piracy. So if you just charge for extreme convenience in the case of Spotify or whatever, people might pay you the money. But so to put these two ideas together, what Liz was talking about, you're talking about, the thing that made Elton John's Lamborghini valuable was the story that it belonged to Elton John and potentially the historical fact that it did. The thing that makes an NFT, what an NFT is then is it's basically a computerization using um, tons and tons of carbon to produce the electricity to make the blockchain of that story. It takes that story and makes it a verifiable thing on a network. And that's like kind of it. Some of them don't actually take tons and tons of carbon. I want to oh, okay, be super great. clear about this. Um, it sort of depends on the blockchain. I'm very sorry for what I'm about to do here, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do it. So Bitcoin is probably the most carbon hog of the bunch. Mm -hmm. Ethereum is a little bit better, but one of the problems that uh, CryptoKitties very famously had, CryptoKitties being one of the original NFTs in like, what, 2017, was that they it was so popular, it like clogged the network really badly. Mm -hmm. um, so Ethereum is not as bad as like the Bitcoin blockchain, but it's like not ideal. And if you look at other blockchains, they're doing things differently. So both Bitcoin and Ethereum are proof of work blockchains, and they require consensus in order to get to a, a, a result. And both of those things mean that you're using more energy, right. basically, to produce something. The thing that's really interesting to me about the top shot blockchain, which is called Flow, is that it's a relatively centralized blockchain, and it's also using proof of stake, uh, which means that there's a lot less of a carbon impact involved. Hmm. So in addition to like not having to do the decentralized stuff and, you know, not necessarily using the same methods to arrive at like the, the block, they've managed to make it a little bit better. Now, Ethereum has famously been um, about to move to proof of stake uh, for a very long time. I will believe it when I see it, because getting to consensus on that is going to be difficult. But there are alternatives that are less environmentally unfriendly. Right. That said, like Ethereum is the most popular thing for NFTs right now. I rescind my cheap shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it comes up every time we write a story, every time we tweet about it, like people are like, this is going to destroy the environment. And the answer is, if it continues the way it's going, it absolutely will. If these alternative marketplaces come up or if this big Ethereum shift comes up, maybe it, it won't. It's like a good argument to have. To me, it kind of feels like being asked to judge Windows Phone on an update that might come out in six months. Like, I, I don't know if that's going to happen. Like, <laughs> I, I've got it right now. Like, Rob Gronkowski selling his Super Bowl highlights. He's not waiting for Ethereum 2.0 to come out. He's just going to sell them on the Ethereum blockchain right now. And that's the end of that. And he's going to make his money. And he's going to continue to be Rob Gronkowski. And we're just going to have to deal with whatever fallout of that. Like, there's a gold rush right now in the inefficient power system. The real question is whether this is going to lead to a functional new kind of creator economy that is maybe on a more efficient, less environmentally fraught blockchain. And that's going to allow creators to buy and sell things in a way that 20 years ago they would buy and sell T-shirts and records and movie clips. I do not know the answer to this question. Like if all this is really if fundamentally all this is is Patreon, but you get to say you own something, fine. But like it 
Like Liz, you don't own the video clip when you buy it from Top Shots, right? This is a question I asked you the other day. Like, you're just getting a license to a video clip. Well, I'm glad you asked because I happen to have the terms of service Amazing. right in front of oh me. Oh my god! Would you like me to read them to you live? This is the most <laughs> riveting radio I can think of. Please. So this is section four: ownership, license, and ownership restrictions. And this is bold and in all caps. Your ownership of moments will only be recognized by us if you have purchased or otherwise rightfully acquired such moments from a legitimate source oh my. and not through any of the category B prohibited activities as defined below. What are the category B prohibited activities? Well, it's below, um, but I'm going I'm to give you a couple of, <laughs> I want to zoom in because they're about to define art own and purchase moments. And I think that that's going to interest you. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So art means any art designs and drawings in the form of media, including without limitation, video or photographs that may be associated with the moment you own. Okay. Own means with respect to a moment, a moment that you have purchased or otherwise rightfully acquired from a legitimate source and not through any of the category B prohibited activities as defined below <laughs> where proof of such purchase is recorded on the flow network. Okay. And a purchased moment means a moment that you own. So um, I'm going to scroll down to the the category B uh, activities. So we're going we're going to go below. Right. Just before you do that, Dieter, when you warned me that we would be talking about what like the nature of a thing. Yeah. Did you think that conversation would resolve to the National Basketball Association defining the word own? <laughs> nope, I did not. But I, I actually <laughs> am super here for it. It's actually really great because what we're learning here is that the NFT, like the the thing that creates the ownership are the terms of service. It's the the whole the whole idea of ownership is a story we tell each other and NFTs are a thing that's layered on top of that and like the fact that the thing that actually creates the ownership is the terms of service that Liz is reading like just it's it's all just stories all the way down. I would like to know what the category B prohibited activities are. Yeah. <laughs> now that we're below. I'm, I'm scrolling. We're thoroughly below now. Okay. Oh, wow. This is uh, involved. <laughs> All right. So this is conditions of use and prohibited activities. You agree you're responsible for your own conduct while using the app. Sure. And consequences thereof. You use the app only for purposes that are legal and proper in accordance with these terms and any applicable laws and regulations. What if there's like a moderation thing? You get kicked off the platform. Yeah, they can, they actually have a code of conduct. Of course they do. One of the things that I've been really enjoying about their um, Discord community is that I'm coming from Wall Street Bets, from having recorded on Wall Street Bets, and I have come to this Discord community and everybody's like very polite and like you get warned <laughs> if you use a bad word. It's actually very well moderated. I'm kind of impressed. That's great. So basically, you will not send, upload, distribute, or disseminate any unlawful, defamatory, harassing, abusive, fraudulent, obscene, or otherwise objectionable content. Involve the distribution of any viruses, worms, defects, Trojan horses, corrupted files, hoaxes, or any other items of a destructive or deceptive nature. Involve the upload, uploading, posting, transmitting, and otherwise making available through the app of any content that infringes on the intellectual property rights of any party. Involve using the app to violate the legal rights, such as privacy and publicity of others. Involve in engaging, promoting, or encouraging illegal activity without including without limitation any money laundering involve interfering with other users enjoyment of the app involve <laughs> exploiting the app so this is just like the twitter moderation rules like th that's this is what they all look like yeah they also ban bots of course um, you can't have a bot well good luck 
But more social platforms should have don't interfere with other people's enjoyment of the app. That's a great catch all. Um, yeah, I love that. But here's what I'll say. When you buy most things, you buy a roll of toilet paper. The Charmin bear doesn't pop up on your screen and tell you all the things you cannot cannot do. Right. Like, well, not yet. <laughs> sure, not Agree yet. to continue. <laughs> but like you buy a top shot NFT, the thing you own comes with a lengthy list of restrictions. One of which is like, there are illegal ways to sell it. You can't sell it for drugs, for example, based on what I just heard. You can't launder money through it. There are also illegal ways to acquire it. Right. So if you get it in some transaction that the NBA or Top Shots or whatever doesn't authorize, you don't own it. Right. You don't own it if you used a stolen credit card to buy it or a payment mechanism that you do not have the right to use or if you try to charge it back. Well, sure. But like if you if you sell it outside of the Top Shot app, Mm -hmm. right, like then you might not own it either because the NBA wants a cut of the transaction. So it's like a closed ecosystem. Yeah, it is a closed ecosystem. And they very, um, very clearly warn you that they can't be responsible if you sell the moment outside the app, because that does potentially provide the the opportunity for some of the stuff they're talking about, like viruses. So can they can they rescind your ownership? Great question. I imagine. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I I, these like, look, one thing that I know about term of service uh, agreements, just as like a person, not like as a lawyer is that typically they give the company the rights to do an awful lot of things, most of which the company will not feel especially forced to do. But if it has to, like, for instance, halt trading because they um, are having trouble uh, securing the funds to give to their depositors uh, in order to uh, deal with the GameStop uh, volatility. They, they can do that. That's in the terms of service. So let me let's switch to a different example. So Jack Dorsey sold his first tweet is an NFT. So his tweet still exists. He still owns the tweet. It's still on Twitter. You can look at it whenever you want. But the the NFT that he minted of his tweet is up for auction. It might go for as much as $2.5 million. He says he's going to donate the proceeds to charity. What say you spend $2.5 million on that? What do you get? Like if I want, if I buy that NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet, can I delete his tweet? Can I make sure no one ever sees it again? Boy, I'm going to have to go look at the terms of service. No, um, (laughs) I think that, one, you get that sense of ownership, right? So maybe you get bragging rights. Like, yeah, I own Jack Dorsey's first tweet. But but he could just, like, mint another NFT of it, right? He could. Yeah. What you you get is the NFT. What you own is the NFT. You own the thing that Jack Dorsey said is an NFT of his tweet. That's what you get. I got to tell you, all this sounds like people... Like we're all been stuck inside for too long and like rich people have too much money. Like that's what this feels like to me that like we just needed something else to buy. Like we've all bought all the things from Amazon that we can think of. Mm -hmm. Like I I bought a pair of slippers on Instagram the other day. Like why? I haven't been to a restaurant. I would pay $10,000 to go to a bar right now. I'm just telling you (laughs) all of this feels like this is an overheated market that isn't rationally connected to at the end of it you're going to sell that tweet for $3 million, right? Like the market doesn't feel like it exists. So this is a thing that I think is actually pretty interesting um, because we've seen, for instance, CryptoKitties, which like is still a going concern, by the way. It's just not as many people and they're not trading for as much. Like there was a period where like the most expensive CryptoKitty like sold for like uh, 600 Ethereum. And now it's all like a tenth 
a mm. hundredth. So, you know, there's that. But the other thing that that happens with stuff that's out in the wild on Ethereum is money laundering. Um, and like there's no way of getting around that with cryptocurrency. It is it's it's part of it. It's part of the reason why like regulators are looking pretty closely at how to regulate cryptocurrency right now. It's not the only thing that's going on in cryptocurrency, but I think we would all be kidding ourselves if we said it wasn't happening. Um, and like if there is a digital object, for instance, a Jack Dorsey tweet that you can say has some kind of like intangible value, then it becomes less obvious that you're engaging in money laundering. Do you know what I mean? I wish I had the criminal instincts to know what you meant. <laughs> okay. This is a story about when I used to live in New York. In Liz's previous life as a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've only ever been it. <laughs> no. But there was this liquor store that was next to one of my friend's houses, and all of the bottles of wine were just, like, mispriced. They were just, like, wrongly priced. Like, this was, I, I went there a lot because they had bottles of wine that should have been expensive that were cheap. And there was also a very big space in the back that I sometimes saw people going in and out of. And if you've lived in New York, you know that there is an organized crime presence. It's around. And my 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 guess was that this this store was a front and that was it was mon a money laundering front. It didn't matter how they priced the wine that I was buying, because that was not the point of the store. Mm -hmm. So you're saying you're a criminal. You've uh, robbed a bank. You've got some money. <laughs> I just watched Logan Lucky. It's a great movie. So you've got a bunch of money. You need to launder it. You're, you're going to like buy Jack Dorsey tweets and then resell them at a later date? Yeah. Okay. Well, now I think NFTs are super cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope the entire market is buying and selling Jack Dorsey tweets. Let me take the positive version of this for the last little bit here. We have seen across the entire internet for the, maybe the past two or three years, the creator economy is like pushed into doing things for the YouTube algorithm because that's the best place to make money as a creator. You basically like have a bad job, right? Like you're, you're constantly grinding. You're trying to make videos that go viral. There's some bad incentives there. Like we've talked to a lot of YouTubers. We, we know and love a lot of YouTubers. This is what they tell us. Like incentive structure creates a lot of pressure. You can be on Instagram. You've got to like make a bunch of brand deals very rarely are you monetizing the thing you make itself. This is all, and I think it's, it's true for musicians at the highest level, right? How do they make money? They're on tour every day and they put out singles they record in the hotel room because the value of the music itself has gone down and the value of the scarce product, which is a concert, has gone up. Okay, that, that, and that's good or bad, however you see it. Do NFTs represent an ability to rebalance that by valuing the, the art itself? Because that would be the good outcome. Maybe. I think the thing that's most significant here is a sense of community, right? So like if we're taking if we're taking, for instance, YouTubers, you have a community around you. Um, and a significant part of your job is actually community maintenance, right? Like you need to talk to folks and like all of this. You have a very personal relationship with your fans. And so I think that be that's a way of monetizing that relationship. You know, like the fan wants to support the creator. They know that the creator isn't making money from the videos that they love. But if the, the creator puts out an NFT for one of those videos, the fan might buy it in, in the hopes of supporting the creator. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm just coming around to like bands used to go away for years at a time. And like Jimmy Page would be like, I'm going to hang amplifiers in a church and then record the church from a mile away. 
and that's going to take me six months to get a guitar tone. And then the album would come out and the album would be the thing that made them money. Right. And that, that cycle worked or didn't work, but it was, it was like the known cycle for music anyway. That cycle is like all but destroyed. Yeah. Right. Like now the the impetus is to be on tour all the time, to monetize the relationship with the fan, to have a Patreon, like on and on and on. And you're getting paid pennies on the song per listen from Spotify for the actual music. Is there a way here where you're like, I'm selling an album, it's all NFTs, you can buy it or not. And that relationship is strong enough to create the new economy. Because that's, I think that's a thing a lot of creators are, they're talking about it that way, even if the mechanics of how the copyright work or the mechanics of what you're actually buying aren't quite there. That is that is what the conversation sounds like to me. Yeah. And like the truth is, as somebody who owns a lot of band T-shirts, she mostly doesn't wear. <laughs> I use Led Zeppelin for a reason here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I, I do go see people live and I do buy their merch because I know they're not making money when I stream them on Spotify. Um, and like, I don't have a problem with supporting them. Um, and that's why I think that that sort of like fan relationship is really important for making this work. Right. Like, you know, I'm not going to buy an NFT of Jack Dorsey's tweets, not least because we have a policy that doesn't let me own any cryptocurrency. But I also don't have a relationship with Jack Dorsey. I don't think he needs more of my money. Like, I don't think I don't care. Like, if I want to donate to a charity, I'll do it myself. Whereas if I'm like thinking about like somebody who hosts hosts a podcast that I like and I know that they're having trouble getting ads, but I want the podcast to continue and they sell an NFT of something from the podcast, I might buy it because I want them to continue doing the thing I like. What's more, this is a question without an answer. What's more carbon intensive, buying the T-shirt from the podcast or buying the NFT? Well, that sounds like a story you should assign, Mr. Editor-in-Chief. <laughs> Dieter? No. <laughs> it's actually, if anyone has a thought, like, please tweet at us, otherwise we'll, we'll go research it. Like, I think those are the kinds of questions that are, that it's the second wave of NFT stories. It's going to look like that. Because if yeah. all you're doing is like super Patreon and you get something, okay. But if, if you want to like have a transaction, I think people are, especially post-pandemic, when we're like away from screens, being like, I own a GIF is not going to be cool. <laughs> I promise you. Well, like the challenge I have to everybody listening to this is like, go find the normiest normie you can think of and try to explain Jack Dorsey selling this tweet for $2.5 million. It is impossible. Like people's eyes will glaze over. And they're like, they bought a tweet. Like why? And then you're like, they didn't actually buy a tweet. And then it's all over for you. So here is something that people I think do understand. And there's a component of it in NFTs Though that's not the only thing the NFTs are doing. But people definitely understand gambling. And more specifically, they understand <laughs> they understand that gambling is really fun. Yeah. Um, like there's like a whole city in the US that's devoted to that too, if you count Atlantic City. So, you know, like if you explain some of this stuff as like a way for people to gamble and have a good time and sort of leave out the question of what does ownership mean, I think that that's that's something that's relatively easy for people to grasp. Long term blockchain tweet gambling. That's where I'm leaving it. I just want <laughs> I just want that idea in everybody's head. Liz has stories coming out next week. We're gonna have more stories. I'm gonna have to figure out how to assign that T-shirt story now. That's my own fault. I'm sorry to the staff of the Verge. <laughs> no, this is the thing. I, I think this rebouncing the creator economy is like there's something deeply important there. I just don't know if buying and selling numbers is like the is the thing. But we're gonna keep chasing it because everyone seems to love it. All right, Liz. Thank you so much. That was great. Oh, thank you for having me. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with Dan Seifert. 
Support of The Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're back. Dan Seifert's here. Hey, Dan. Hello. A lot of, a lot of gadget news this week. You know, let's start with Sonos. There's Sonos Events-ish. They announced a portable Bluetooth speaker called the Roam. It's $169. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a UE Boom with a Sonos logo on it. Uh. <laughs> well, I'm, just, I'm very proud of Chris Welch because he like scooped the whole thing. So like... The element of surprise is like, oh, like we had it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a competitor to the UE Boom. It's got Sonos tech in it. You can also just like seamlessly move audio. F- if you're Bluetooth thing it to that speaker, you can move it to the rest of your Sonos speakers, which is cool. Yeah. It seems like Sonos is about to dramatically expand this product line. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Like this is the first really portable Sonos product. Like they had the move. Was it 2019 or something like that? But that was portable from like your kitchen to your porch. (laughs) (laughs) Like nobody really is bringing that thing around because it weighs like 11 pounds. Uh, But this is a UE Boom sized thing. So we're very familiar with that form factor. You throw it in a bag, you take it to the park, you take it to the beach, take it to a friend's house for whenever we can do that again. Um, And like it's it's you just it's a bluetooth speaker and then when you're home it's a wi-fi speaker and integrates with your wi-fi sonos system which is really rad so uh i think it's pretty cool i think a lot of sonos customers have been wanting this for a long time i don't know how many people outside of the sonos world will be interested in it but yeah i mean that's my big question is is this going to be an entree into living the sonos life or not i love that they they basically threw every feature that I would ask for, right? I'm like, oh, what do I want in a what if a Bluetooth speaker with everything? Okay, well, I want Google Assistant. I want Alexa. I want Wi-Fi to connect to Sonos. I want Bluetooth. 
I want wireless charging off a standard cheap pad. I want it to charge via USB-C, um, and I don't want it to be too big. And I want it to, you know, have good sound. Like you, like that. Mm-hmm. They just chick, 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 chick down the list. Like if I had to complain about the spec, I would say that the the handoff feature uses like super super high frequency tones that nobody can hear instead of just using I don't know ultra wideband or something. But like, okay, who cares? <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. Um, and really, what's UWB but a different kind of frequency anyway? I mean, really, if we're, if we're getting... Yeah, yeah, it's true. So I like this thing. Is it worth 170 Like, it will be for me, I think, because I will, like, have it integrated into my Sonos system. I will say this in a question that only The Verge would ask. We confirm that you cannot use them as surrounds what? for a Sonos sandbar. That's garbage. I take it all back. Literally, we are the only people who asked. We're the <laughs> only people who care. But I, I personally love the idea of, like putting my surrounds away and then bringing my surrounds. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. Battery-operated surrounds. I don't think anybody else cares about that, but <laughs> it's true. They've packed every feature into it. It's very competitive. I think that the idea that like most day, like most days you don't get any value out of your Bluetooth speaker, right? right? Like mm-hmm. it's just like at home, you like put it in the closet, you take it out when you want to travel or you're like outside your house because it's part of Sonos, you might get a lot of value out of it. You might like, Keep it in your bedroom and use it there most days. And then when you want to leave, you pick it up and go, especially if you buy the, the charging dock. But like Patrick Spence, CEO of Senos, good friend of our show, gave a great interview to, to, to Yanko at Protocol. He's like, we're expanding. We're going to put this thing in stores you might not expect, like particularly like outdoor stores or like hinting towards like camping stores. Like mm-hmm. they're moving to expand the product line out of its normal zone. Yeah. There's the rumors of headphones forever. Yeah. Right. Like you can, they announced a partnership with Audi, you know, there's <laughs> co-branded car audio is like very funny. Like it'll be a Sonos logo on the Audi stereo system. I have no idea what Sonos could bring to the car. Like, like I just do not understand what, I mean, like maybe it does true play in your car and like tunes no. the audio depending on where you're sitting. I mean, first of all, they, they, you know, their, their stuff sounds good. But sure. like co-branded car audio is like always very funny. Like maybe the feature will be there where you can like you're playing the music in your living room, your kitchen and and your car for some reason. Like that would be very funny. I would appreciate that. Like yeah. just for, I'm I'm the guy who wants battery powered surrounds like not useful, <laughs> but would be hilarious and a delight. But it's probably more like you drive home, you're listening to something, you get out of the car, you push a button and it starts playing on your Sonos. Like that would be cool. Or it could just be that like. Somebody paid somebody, Audi paid Sonos, to put the Sonos logo on the speakers that are in the car, right? <laughs> we're, you know, the OnePlus uh, 9, 9 Pro are coming, and, you know, th- all the leaks, and the, 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 there's a Hasselblad logo on it. We've seen camera companies put logos on phones before. How meaningful is it? We don't know. So there might yeah. be some feature stuff on this Audi, but it might just be that Sonos is getting paid for its logo, and, like, there's some, like, there's a patina of we helped tune the sound or whatever. Right, so I I have a, a Mustang Mach E review unit now. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. I highly recommend driving one. It's the good time. I saw one in the wild for real, not a review, just like a person that owned the car. It was amazing. But it has a B and O sound system for it as a deal with B and O, which is it's like a nice logo on the, the sound system. But like Bang and Olsen is like they're the crazy design company. Like they're the '80s CD tower, <laughs> foldy speaker, like TVs that like unfoldy like yeah. They're that company. They were like the ultimate high-end stereo mall store. Yeah. (laughs) And like, there's this logo all over this Ford and it's like, 
is something going to like unfold? Is it, is, are you going to eject like eight CDs at once? Like what's going is, is, is the remote going to be a triangle for some reason? I'm very excited. And it's just a logo. The question for me with the Sono Saudi partnership is, is it going to be as cool as the Macintosh integration into the Jeep? The Macintosh audio, not the like old school yeah, Macintosh. Yeah, yeah, no, not, yeah, Ma- yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot my audience here. Yeah. yeah. The Macintosh audio, who is like best known for making these like tube powered custom amplifiers that have uh, the needles that show you the value, the levels of things. And uh, they, they partnered with Jeep to put that on a screen in your car. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to buy that Jeep. <laughs> Just telling you right now. If I can get VU meters on my car in some way. Uh, yeah, I'm going to buy it. Are we at the point where we're worried that Sonos is, we, we, we complained for years that Sonos didn't move fast enough. They didn't make enough stuff and they were just too slow. But are we going to have the opposite problem? Are we like, we got what we asked for and now they're just making so much stuff and we're worried they're diluting the brand. Well, they have to do that first, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, they have to make all the stuff. I think like there's a handful of headphone companies that just have announced for the past few months, like we would sell ourselves if you'd like. Yeah. Like I think cost announced that like Sennheiser Sennheiser. It's just like true that being a, a dead ahead headphones company right now is like not a great business to be in because the headphone jack from the iPhone replaced it with a proprietary earphone Bluetooth and their pods are eating the world. Like that's just a real thing that is happening. I told you so. Um, <laughs> sorry. Like, like years ago, when they took, it's like, I should have titled that post. This will kill Sennheiser. Because, <laughs> anyhow, it's not a great time to be in that market, but it's still a big market. So I think Sonos just has the opportunity to be like, we have all the stuff in your house. We make this soundbar you like for your TV. We work with all these services. We're the neutral system. And in your car, in your portable. Th- and okay, now here's a set of headphones that have value beyond, beyond mm-hmm. just being a competitor to the AirPods Max yeah. or whatever. Is that a hard road? I think there's a reason I haven't done it, but they haven't, I don't think they've made enough stuff. Like there's not a finite amount of places people want to listen to music. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and there's like all kinds of products to make. Anyway, I'm excited for it. I'm, I, I desperately, I was just thinking about this. If they put it in the Audi and they let you stream into the car, you could use two cars as surrounds. <laughs> just an idea, Pat, if you're listening, just, just like make that like a secret feature for me. Like, you know, like a lot of people right now are doing projectors in the backyard. Yeah. Just open up your Think car Think about doors. it. Like you set up the big projector, you got the speaker, and then you drive up your two Audis behind you. <laughs> it's only two, only it'll cost you two Audi all roads. No big deal. Very cost effective. Look, <laughs> if I learned anything from the Maxell commercial, that ad, the guy, like cost is no object when you're searching for audio fidelity. <laughs> all right. What else is going on in gadgets? Uh, so Cameron just reviewed the Asus ROG uh, Ultimate five, 5, Ultimate, whatever, words, Android phone. Um, <laughs> it's another gamer phone. I once again ask you, the Vergecast listener, to tweet me the name of a professional phone gamer, someone that does this work and makes money gaming just on their phone. Please, I want to meet this person because this person must exist because Asus made this phone for that person. If you want a phone that is just unapologetically sick, this is that phone. 
Sick is the word to describe it, yes. <laughs> it has a, a mini display in the back that you can put your own custom logo on that you can customize the look of it. It has their Armory software, Aces Armory software, for, to customize the the processor speed and the GPU and blah, 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 blah. It has two USB-C ports if you want to have one on the bottom when you're holding it. It has phantom buttons on the back and on the top. Um, it's got, you know, specs. It's got those 18 gigs of RAM that I joked about. Um, it has a thing that I think Samsung may have done this first where it, you can, when you're charging it, you can set it to do pass-through charging so it doesn't actually charge your battery. It just keeps the phone running so the battery doesn't overheat. Uh, but if you're worried about overheating, there's a fan attachment, so that's cool. <laughs> and um, <laughs> what am I forgetting? There's something else. 144 hertz screen. 144 hertz screen. That's correct. Oh, uh, the battery... Is I think 6,000 milliamps, and they did the thing where they split it in two so they can charge each one separately because then it charges wow. faster. The camera's terrible. I mean, whatever. Pro gamers aren't, aren't taking photos. Everyone knows I'm a huge proponent that there should be more diversity in phones. There should be phones for smaller niche markets. This is why I like foldables. This is why I like all sorts of different phones. This is why I like the iPhone 12 mini, even though apparently Apple made too many of them. <laughs> so I love that this phone exists, but I want to meet the person who needs this phone for their job. Tell me why you need the 18th gig of RAM. I don't know if you'll meet someone who needs it. I think you'll meet a lot of people who want it. And okay. like, this is the fourth one in this lineup, right? Yeah. Like they skipped number four. They went from three to four. So like, clearly Asus has like found a market for this where people are buying it. And not only like we reviewed, I think the ultimate edition, which has all the bells and whistles, but they're also releasing like two other configurations. Yeah. So it's like they are taking their gaming laptop lineup model where you could buy the top of the line one with the RTX 3080 in it and the best AMD processor and the fastest screen. Or you can like spec down to like the 1660 uh, GPU and like uh, a lower res screen and, and less RAM and stuff like that. And they are like just applying that to the phone here. So there's like three different or four different tiers of this, depending on which features you want. They're at different prices. The one we reviewed equates to like $1,500 plus. It is, it is a pricey phone. It is a big phone. You have to know you want this phone. But if you know <laughs> about this phone and you know you want it, you probably want the phone, right? Like, you, like there's like, it's like a very specific market for this, but it clearly the market exists enough for them to keep making them, right? Dieter, you didn't say the fan attachment has triggers. Yeah, like sorry. Triggers. <laughs> I mean, that's like, I applaud, I applaud this phone. And it has gesture controls. There's something like 18 different ways to interact with this phone. Yeah. Like, Can you use it as surrounds for a Sonos system? <laughs> <laughs> it does have good dual front-facing speakers. So. There you go. Yeah. And, Eli, it has a headphone jack. Yeah, see? <laughs> Sennheiser is saved. Not only does it have a headphone jack, the last version had the headphone jack on the fan attachment, and they took it out and put it into the phone directly. So they added it back. Yes. Um, this is my next. Yeah. It's calling, <laughs> calling it out. I'm buying this phone. I'm the, I'm the guy. I'm a pro gamer now. Yeah. I want to know. I want to see your armory crate uh, overclocking settings when you get it. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> I'm the guy who has a PS5 and hasn't played it in like a week and a half. Like, I'm just not the market for this phone, but a headphone jack, you got me. I mean, well, so the thing that's funny that you mentioned the PS5, because like in Cameron's review, it seems like the whole future of gaming on a phone is moving to cloud streaming gaming, which, you know, xCloud and Stadia, if Google ever figures that out and, and so on. Lots, lots of different things happening in this space. They're not going to figure it out. Google's problems aside, you don't, you can do all of that with like a three-year-old iPhone and like, or like. Uh, a Pixel 4a, it's the same experience when you're streaming everything to the device. So like the question for this is like, it's a gaming marketed phone. It's got a lot of gaming centric features, but 
all of those affect like the local games you would play on the device. And like, is that the future of gaming on mobile? And it doesn't look like it. So I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe maybe there's someone who's playing a lot of games on their phone and loves this stuff. And if you're out there, please tweet at Dieter. Yeah, if you're buying this phone because you need it, not just because it's sick. I mean, if you're buying it because it's sick, I want to hear about it too. But if you're buying this phone because like, yep, I need to do this thing because I'm a professional gamer, I desperately want to talk to you. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a bunch of OnePlus stuff going on. Speaking, speaking of phones that have a, an audience that knows about them. Yeah, so uh, we know that they're going to have an announcement on March 23rd. We know it's the OnePlus 9 Pro and the OnePlus 9. There have been plenty of leaks and renders. Uh, and we know that there's a Hasselblad uh, tie-in with the cameras in some way. Um, and we know that uh, the sensor is going to be the uh, Sony IMX789 on the main camera, newish sensor. And uh, that will be uh, fascinating. It's, uh, it turns out that... Um, Putting new uh, sensor hardware on a phone is really interesting. Sometimes it can go really well, uh, and sometimes it can go the way it did on the S20 Ultra. I'm just pointing out that uh, OnePlus is willing to experiment with brand new sensors. Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, and they're also willing to put a Hasselblad name on it because Hasselblad accepted the check. Like, well, I mean, like... They they had this announcement come out that they say they're going to announce their phones on March 23rd, and they went into this whole thing about their partnership with Hasselblad. And really what it boils down to now is they are tweaking the color, yes. <laughs> which is like really what you should expect from one of these partnerships. Yeah. Well, maybe they'll do more in the future. Maybe, maybe, but <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the last Hasselblad partnership on a phone was the Motorola Moto Z Zoom attachment. And uh, right. That was really bad. Yeah. Expectations are low. Now, I'm sure the phone will probably be fine. Uh, OnePlus generally makes good phones at this point. You don't really have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. I would temper your expectations that the camera is going to be a miracle camera just because it has a Hasselblad name on it. But but here's the thing. I don't think miracle camera needs to be the standard. I think it's um, keep up with iPhone 12, um, Galaxy S21 Ultra, preferably. Mm -hmm. um, iPhone 12, 12 12 Pro Max, preferably. Um, we haven't seen um, miracle cameras in the last few years, but uh, we have seen, like, Samsung fell behind a little bit with the S20. They're, like, ca catching up again. There's, like, that race is very, very close, and it's not moving as fast as it used to. So I would love to say that this is going to be the thing that, like, breaks through and is a big innovation, but I would be happy, given OnePlus's history, with them just keeping up with the times. If they could do that, like, that's great. Speaking of Hasselblad, I want to call it Becca has a great review of a new Hasselblad camera up on the YouTube channel right now. Yeah. We don't often review gigantic medium format cameras. This is a little medium format camera. <laughs> I'm just saying, but when we do, we go all out. So it's like the, the it's like the spectrum of Hasselblad, like the actual Hasselblad camera. And then like, yeah, you, you can pay us some money for the name. You can pay us like a whole mortgage of money. Or you could pay a car loan of money. And so this one is like the car loan level. It's only $6,400 for the oh. camera. It's a very cool camera, though. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go check out Becca's video. She does a, uh, has a lot of fun with it and, and takes some really fun photos with it and has some really in cool insights into what it's like to shoot with this camera that was essentially designed to mimic what a camera was like in the 1950s. But it has you know a medium format digital sensor in it. So it's pretty neat. It's fun. Uh, Samsung? Unpacked March, we're coming up on, se on like event season again. Yeah, like there's rumors of an Apple event coming, and now there's an unpacked. I feel like it's sneaking up on us. That's what it yeah. feels like yeah. to me. 
Yeah, rumors of an Apple event, which are kind of all over the place. Like it was firm and then it got canceled and maybe it's later and who knows. Um, and then Samsung is holding an impact event. As near as we can tell, it's going to be for the Galaxy A52 and I think the A72. And it's like, how much daylight is there going to be between the A72, like their high-end mid-range, and the S21, which is their low-end, basically mid-range flagship? Unclear. But the A-series sells better than the S-series, so I guess they decided it deserves its own event. I just want another commercial from them. Yes. Remember that commercial? Yep. <laughs> just, like, banging away in good battery life and great camera? Like, come on. They took it off their main channel. They, like, Samsung has a thing where they delete their YouTube videos now, and so you've got to find it on, like, an alternative channel if you want to watch their old stuff. Is that because they make fun of other companies for not including, like, a charger in the box or <laughs> having a head, not having a headphone jack, and yeah. then they have to, to roll back that? It's uh, fine. OnePlus 9 Pro coming with an AC adapter charger. Although that makes sense because uh, they do their custom warp charge yeah, it's stuff. the only way to get their, their yeah. fastest charges through their own thing, yeah. Peter, you mentioned this iPhone mini 12, 12 mini situation. Yeah. So uh, the the rumor is they've like cut back on their um, like component requests and that they, they don't need to make as many as they originally forecast. I had a tweet go like semi kind of viral where I was like, uh, step one, everyone says Apple needs to make a small phone. Step two, Apple only makes it. Wait, step one, Apple only ever makes bigger phones. Step two, everyone wants Apple to make a small phone. Step three, Apple gives up and it's like, fine, we'll make a small phone. Step four, nobody ever buys, not enough people buy the phone. <laughs> step five, it wasn't worded perfectly because I'm like, the demand was an illusion. Like, the demand is not an illusion. There are plenty of people who want to buy this phone, millions and millions of them. I am one of them. I bought one. I love it. But uh, I think it's like true that like the trend that people say they want a small phone, but they actually end up buying the big phone is, I think, like, a real thing. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, though I will say that a underperforming iPhone sales mm-hmm. is, like, probably way more than, like, LG sales of its phone's <laughs> entire market. Do you think that the, the uh, Asus ROG Phone 5 Ultimate is going to outsell the iPhone 12 mini? No, of course not. Like, the iPhone 12 mini is, like, going to be orders of magnitude more than that. But when you're playing on Apple's scale, it's like, oh, we didn't move you know, 50 million of them. So Wait, they sold a lot of iPhone SEs, right? I mean, like, yeah, but the iPhone SE, the reason that sold was because it's $399. That's the number yeah. one driver on that. Not because it's a small size. That might be a benefit to some. Not the headphone jack? <laughs> no, they took the, it on the SE2, right? I meant they on took the, it the first one anyway. Yeah, yeah. But on the first yeah. one. But but like the reason that people bought that is because I can get a brand new iPhone for under $500. And it's the only way to do it. The mini, the 12 mini is what, 640 or $700? I can't even remember at this I think point. it's 700 But it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not in that bracket. And so, like, it doesn't, it's cost less than the regular iPhone 12, but when you're, you know, looking at that price point and you can be like, oh, I can get the bigger screen, we know it has much better battery on the iPhone 12, and uh, it's only 100 bucks more or $5 more per month if you're, you know, splitting it up, then I think a lot of people are just going to go for the bigger. I kind of wonder yeah. if they, the iPhone 12 mini for Apple Galaxy brand is just like their plat, their future platform for the SE and they know it, that they, they don't think they'll be able to bring the costs down on like the regular size iPhone 12 to an SE level. So they just, they made a small one because they know sometime in the future they can reuse that uh, that factory line to make another SE. Yeah, it's the, the, the thing here is not no one, to Dan's point, it's not no one bought it or it's a failure. It's they overestimated the demand. And Apple's right. usually really good at estimating demand. Right. So, like, maybe they'll just calibrate it to where the market is. At the same time, like, what do people want? They Like, across every screen in existence, they want the cheapest, biggest one. 
Like, yeah. There's a reason there are like $250, 75-inch TVs <laughs> that basically are gray. <laughs> like <laughs> display no colors and no black levels. Except for the ads. They did a lot of really colorful ads on those TVs. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. true. <laughs> um, but there's a reason. Like, people just want the biggest, cheapest screen, and that is like held true in TVs, in laptops, in phones for more than a decade now. And I, I think the, the mini has kind of like fallen into that. The only thing I would say is that a lot of, I think a lot of industry watchers, uh, enthusiasts and stuff were watching the iPhone 12 mini very closely because they were wanted to see if it would be enough of a success to push other companies to copy that formula and come out with smaller phones. And it seems like seeing news like this, that it might temper those things. Like one of my biggest complaints or criticisms against OnePlus for the longest time is that the only way to buy a OnePlus phone is to deal with a giant phone. And I would love to have like a smaller OnePlus phone that is more manageable to use. But if Apple isn't moving, you know, lot loads of mini sized phones, is OnePlus going to be able to, or is Samsung going to be able to, or, you know, whatever other company actually sells phones these point at this point, are they going to really be able to play in that space? And like, it seems like maybe not. I don't know. We'll have to see. My question is how much of this is a pandemic story? Like if you're buying, and they, Apple did sell a lot of iPhones this year, which yeah. surprised me, right? Like people are at home. I figured no one would upgrade their phone. We did see laptop sales like explode. TV sales exploded. People just also bought phones too. Well, they got tired of staring at the same old phone all the yeah. time at home. And this so, is like, there's nothing left to buy. This is what I mean. They bought a new phone, a new laptop, a new TV, and now they're like, but Beeple, it's like, whatever, I got money. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, I got $69 million sitting around. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, what else, what's left to buy? But I wonder if post-pandemic, we're all out and about, like, pockets become a relevant consideration in your life again. Yeah, but then the battery life becomes a real relevant consideration too, right? Like, yeah, but I, I feel like we I feel like this was like an imperfect year for the experiment because like portability <laughs> stopped being the concern, right? Like even right. like one-handed use stopped being the, like you're just like on the couch. Like we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It's just reports. We don't Apple certainly isn't confirming any of this. Dieter, I want you to talk about Wear OS. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather talk about the Insta360 Go 2 because it's such a cute little gadgety gadget action cam. Well, I wanted to start with Wear OS so we could we could go low and then end high. Oh, okay. So these aren't new, but I reviewed the TicWatch 3 Pro, Pro 3, 3 Pro, and uh, the Fossil Gen 5 LTE. Uh, the TicWatch Pro is uh, notable because it has the latest Qualcomm uh, processor for smartwatches, but it also has a bunch of stuff built on top of uh, Wear OS to make it, uh, what's the word, usable. <laughs> uh, it's got you know, a separate screen, and it's got an unbelievable raft of Mobvoi fitness apps. And the experience of using this watch is you want to open up the fitness, you know, tr the step tracker, and it presents you with the terms of service on the watch. And every time you want to turn on a sensor, you get the terms of service. And it's so aggressive, you're like more likely to read it and more likely to wonder like, is the data, is my health data actually going to this company, Mobvoi, which I don't know, do you trust Mobvoi? And maybe yes, maybe no, kind of actually a little bit yes. And then it makes you less likely to want to use the things you bought the watch for. So that that experience is weird. But if you want a good Wear OS watch, this is, this is the one, even though it's big and 
whatever. Um, the Fossil is a standard, bog standard, uh, Snap 3100 Wear OS watch with uh, LTE. The LTE actually works just fine. Like, it's basically seamless. Uh, so kudos to that. But it still has this thing that Fossil has to do, which is, like, four different battery modes, each of which are, like, granularly customizable, again, on the watch, which nobody wants that. It has been going on three-ish years now where I've been saying, if you use Android, there are no really truly great smartwatch options for you. The Versa is like chugging along. Who knows what's going to happen with that now that Google owns them. Uh, there's Wear OS. Uh, Samsung's is probably the best. Uh, I still just chafe at using a Samsung smartwatch unless you're using a Samsung phone because you have to install like four different Samsung apps to like make the thing go. I don't know. It's wild to me. Like people uh, say that you know I, I'm a capitalist and I believe in competition, and that's true. But uh, also, capitalism hasn't produced a decent smartwatch for Android users. Eighty five percent of the market. You know, I heard I heard Bernie give that in a floor speech the yeah. other day. I'm once again asking you to come out with a good smartwatch for Android. <laughs> I'm sorry. The question for me with this piece, we are once again in 2021 writing about terrible Wear OS watches. Well, they're not terrible. They're just like, they're fine. They're not good. Yeah. Right. They're not great. Like you wouldn't yeah. recommend any, either anybody buy either of these. They're 300 or $350 Correct. and they're not great experiences. My question as usual is how much of this is on Google for making Wear OS work better? And how much of is it, is it on the hardware for not progressing faster? Like it seems like, you know, Every time Qualcomm comes out with a new Snapdragon Wear model, which is like every 18 months or so, everyone hopes that it's going to like fix the problem of Wear OS watches. Mm -hmm. And it maybe lags a little less. It doesn't really make much of a difference between the battery life. It seems like the things that uh, Mobvoi did with the like second screen and all the other hacks really affect the battery life much more. But then the Wear OS experience is still kind of crummy and like things break all the time. We just saw a news article today that OK Google finally works again after like not working for months on yep. Wear OS watches. Nobody noticed because everyone turns it off because it was a battery hog. <laughs> yeah, or it was so <laughs> slow and so laggy because it's a yeah. terrible experience. And I just woke up my uh, smart display. <laughs> uh, or like, you know, you're scrolling with the little, um, the, the rotating crown and it just kind of like lags and hangs and crashes. And like, I would say about a third of Wear OS doesn't work with a rotating crown just randomly. Yeah. Like, nope. So like, Whose fault is it? Is is it Google? I think th I would say that it is Google's job to make this better. And like, yes, the the processor is never probably going to keep up with what a Apple can produce in its uh, the Apple Watch at this point. But uh, you could probably keep up with Samsung. Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't know why why you're not doing that there. Yeah. they just don't seem to be committed to making Wear OS a better thing. And like now they own Fitbit. Maybe that'll change things, but. I don't know. Yeah, unclear. Google hardware acquisitions always go great. I uh, <laughs> routinely use my entire ecosystem of Nest products. <laughs> it's great. Uh, it's the best. All right, let's end on a high note. Okay, so the Insta360 Go2, Becca reviewed it. Um, it is an action cam, but it's itty-bitty, uh, and it's you know just front-facing. It's not a 360 camera. It's a, even though it's from Insta360. Anyway, uh, it comes with a cool little charging case that also is the like display for the phone and also can act as a tripod and also can act as a remote control. It sticks to a bunch of different stuff with magnets. You can buy a GoPro mount for it if you want to. Um, there's no real interface on the tiny little camera itself. There's just a 
button and then a white light turns on if it's recording. Um, why it's white and not red uh, is a mystery for the ages. But I love that there's just like a million little gigaws and gadgets you can get with it. And it works well in this little ecosystem they just created ex nilio. It seems like it's cool and fun. It's $299. And if you're going to spend $299 on an action camera and you're looking for a big ecosystem, I got to say, I don't know that uh, this is it quite yet. The GoPro still exists and makes good stuff and older ones are still around and they're also very good. So like as fun as it is and as much as I really like it, uh, I'm not sure that I would recommend it over a GoPro. Uh, but I love it. I love that it's small. Here's my question, though, uh, Dan. Will tiny little camera accessory that is a satellite to your phone ever be a thing? We had this. <laughs> what was Google's thing called? The, uh, the Pixel Clips? The, the Google Clips. Clip. There was the HTC Re. Remember the, yes. the Periscope thing? It seems like a company goes for it with this every two to three years. I like the Insta360 goes to, Go 2's take on it because they're like, no, no, we're, we're just going to make it an action cam. We're not going to try and make it, you know, whatever. But this is this never never seems to work. Like the, the like Moto Mods, we there was the um, uh, what was the, the thing that you could stick into your lightning port or USB port? The camera. Oh, the DXO. The DXO uh, mark thing. Oh man, I bought yeah. one of those. That was yeah. a real mistake. It sh- it should make you should be able to attach a good lens to your camera or have it near your or to your phone and then have it be or have it be near your phone. Sony used to have that thing that bolted onto the back of the phone. Yeah, this is like a good idea that always fails. So maybe it's a bad idea. I think that the Insta Insta three sixty go to is a little different approach than like the clips and the re, which yeah. tried to like do the photography for you. I think this acknowledges that it's a camera. It's uh, someone who's going to buy this is going to be wanting to control it and wanting to, to manage it. The point that Becca made in her review is that it creates a far more, I'm using her words because I'm reading them right now, but it creates an image that's far more unique than what you get from your phone. And so like, if you want to capture something that looks different, it's got that really wide field of view. It's got a little bit higher resolution video. It's got a little bit higher frames per second uh, for the capture. It, it just looks different than what you get from sticking a phone out in front of your face. And so it has that purpose. If you are an active person, I love all the gadgety gigaws on that you can attach to this. I love, like you mentioned, the case is like all magnetic and everything. That's really fun. But these also feel like the kind of thing that's a little disposable and a little like you're going to buy it, use it once in a while, if much, and it's going to live in a drawer most of the time. Like I don't see it being like a thing that you use all the time, unless you are the type of person that mountain bikes all the time and wants to record every single clip. This is great because I have space in my drawer next to my my Mavic Mini and my gimbal and the rest of my other action camera and that weird little what what did you what was it what was it called the the thing that plugged in with the RX100 sensor you just mentioned I think it was the DXO thing right the DXO I've got yeah. that that thing was just a real lark of a bad idea <laughs> that drawer is it's there's a little space in there that was the idea that it's got a bigger sensor in it so it's got to be better right and then it's like oh no oh, so slow <laughs> also it didn't uh, it didn't pull power from the phone so you yeah. have to charge it separately anyway <laughs> yeah i love little cameras and as soon as this is discounted even one dollar i will almost certainly end up buying it <laughs> i would tell you to be sure to buy a uh, micro sd card to uh, supplement the 32 gigs of onboard storage but it's too small to take that it just has the 32 gigs and if you turn on motion stabilization you're out that space pretty quick so maybe wait till it's discounted two dollars all right Last thing, Monica's been on a tear of laptop reviews. Dan, what's what's going on here? Uh, well, we had two gaming laptop reviews in the last week. 
uh, and they are two very different outcomes. Uh, Cameron reviewed the Razorblade 15, uh, which is fine, but like really starting to get long in the tooth and then probably wouldn't recommend you buy it. Monica reviewed the Asus ROG Zephyrus G15, and if you are buying a gaming laptop this year and you're not buying this one, you must have some really specific reason because it does basically everything you want from a gaming laptop really well. Well, I spent my gaming budget on the ROG phone. <laughs> yeah, well, see, the problem is if you bought the ROG phone and now you don't have 1800 bucks to buy an actual gaming laptop, that, that yeah. might be a consideration. But but like the, the screen is great. They upgraded the resolution of the screen. Uh, the one thing that's different than last year is last year was a 14-inch model. This year they have 14 and 15-inch models. So we looked at the 15-inch so far. Uh, so it's got a bigger screen, a little bit bigger chassis. It's a little bit more common in the gaming laptop world to have this size of a computer. But the screen is uh, higher resolution. Uh, it's 1440p. It's got a higher refresh rate. It's got uh, AMD's like great, awesome processor that everyone loves, and it performs really well here. It's got NVIDIA's uh, latest GPU options. You can get the 3070 and have really great performance. And it's like 1800 bucks, which is a lot. But when you compare it to the Razer Blade that we reviewed at 2300 or 2400, I can't remember the exact thing. It's like this is actually packing a lot of value into the chassis. Yeah, and the best thing is it doesn't. There's no. Uh, doesn't have a uh, crappy webcam on it. It doesn't have a webcam. That's like the one cons- <laughs> like consideration you have to make. Which is the really weirdest thing about this is like they went and put this triple microphone array to capture really great audio when you're on your calls, and then they didn't put a webcam with oh, it. So it's because like- they know all the Twitch streamers are just hooking up GoPro. Yeah, I mean, like, you could hook up a camera, sure, if you're a Twitch streamer, but, like, if you're not a Twitch streamer, like, well, you know, get, it's nice get to have a You're not working, you're playing, man. That's what, what this is but for. But that's the thing. With this, Republic with this computer, of gamers, not Republican nerds, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> not Republic of Excel out I here. I will say, if you are a Republic of nerd, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you're a Ron... Uh, this is a great laptop for working on or going to school with. You're going to get eight to 10 hours of battery life. The keyboard's great. The trackpad's great. Like you can actually use this as your daily laptop and then go home and Twitch stream, you know, your, your Hades runs or whatever. So it's, it's a great laptop. It's, it's like the best laptop we've reviewed so far this year. It's probably going to be the best gaming laptop of the year without much competition. All right. There's like a lot of gadget news and this like feeling that new product season is upon us. Yeah. Just creeping up on us. I'm excited. Sneaking, sneaking up on Glimmers us. Glimmers of hope. That's what the Vergecast is all about. Wear OS is going to be great this year. <laughs> Damn it. All right. We're, we're over. We got to wrap this up. Thank you to Liz for joining us. I am confident Liz is going to be back to talk about NFTs like almost every week for the rest of the year. Uh, you can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless. Dieter's at Backlon. Liz is MS Lapato. Dan is DC Seifert. I'm going to plug Decoder. This last week we had Kayvon Bakepour, who's head of product at Twitter. That was a fun conversation. A couple of weeks ago, remember we were talking about uh, Facebook and Google versus Australia. Mm-hmm. I realized we hadn't talked to very many Australians. <laughs> this is a real thing. We talked about Google and Facebook in Australia. Uh, so I had Scott Farquhar, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of Atlassian, Ooh. Australia's biggest tech company. They make Trello mm-hmm. in addition to Jira, which is a huge product. So he was on Decoder to explain to me why Australia is the test bed of all tech regulation in the world. It was like a w- great conversation. Also, it was tomorrow for him. Ooh. I was talking to him on Wednesday, and it was Thursday, which was just a mind. So that's coming on Tuesday. That's a real fun <laughs> episode of Decoder. Wednesday for him. <laughs> that's true. We'll be back <laughs> next week with more Vergecast. It's, it, I'm telling you, glimmers of hope. It's going to be great. Rock and roll. Wear a mask. Wear a mask.